great to see you, Purpose Church. It's so good to be together. Uh, before we get into our study, I want to report uh, on the congregational meeting from last Sunday afternoon that we passed our new church constitution with 100% of the congregation voting to approve it. Uh, this has got to be one of the signs of the second coming of Jesus or of coming revival when a church passes something this complex with literally a hundred different ways that, you know, we could have uh, seen things differently in the formation of that. Uh, some passes something this complex with a, a complete unity. And so we're just praising God for that. Um, a few weeks ago, our daughter, Abby, uh, helped get a piece of legislation passed in Congress with 100% approval. Uh, that means that Alexandria Ocasio-Cortez also known as AOC, and Marjorie Taylor Greene, also known as MTG, it means that both of them voted for it. <laughs> and so I texted her this week, and I said, that was nothing. We got 100% of a large group of Baptists to vote for our piece of legislation. So we're competing with each other on those kind of things. Uh, today we're continuing our 2023 series in which we cover the 66 books of the Bible in 52 weeks. That means that some weeks, like today, we need to cover two books on a Sunday. Now next Sunday, I will get back to one book per week with the book of Ezra. And I'm so looking forward to this. This is one of those great books in the Bible that we hardly ever talk about. And so we're going to have such a good time together in God's Word this Sunday and next Sunday as well. The title of our series is Jesus on Every Page. Now, the title of the section that we're currently in, uh, the historical books of the Old Testament, is No Perfect People Allowed. And the title for today's study is First and Second Chronicles, Jesus, the King Who is Greater Than Solomon. Let's look at the background for First and Second uh, Chronicles. Uh, here's a map of this time period. And last week we studied First and Second Kings, and this week we're studying First and Second Chronicles, and they cover much of the same time in history. But First and Second Kings covers both the Northern Kingdom, which is in uh, red here, and uh, its capital was Samaria. Uh, so First and Second Kings covers both the Northern Kingdom of Israel and the Southern Kingdom there in blue with it, of Judah, with its capital of Jerusalem. Uh, so Kings, First and Second Kings covers uh, really both of them. But First and Second Chronicles mainly focuses on King David, on King Solomon, and then on the southern uh, kingdom of Judah, because these two split from each other uh, during the reign of Rehoboam, who was the son of Solomon. So they were all united under uh, Saul and, and David and, 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 and Solomon. Uh, it was its biggest size under Solomon, but then it split under his son Rehoboam into north and into south. Um, it takes two hours and three minutes to read uh, First Chronicles and two hours and 19 minutes to read Second Chronicles. Uh, the content is a post-exilic, 
which means after the exile. So uh, northern part, Israel got exiled to Assyria in 722 BC. Uh, Southern part, Judah, got exiled in 586 BC to Babylon. So this is uh, after the exile, a positive history, uh, mainly of Judah's kings, with emphasis on the temple and on its worship. Its historical coverage, it has an opening genealogy that goes back to Adam. But then the narrative itself covers the kingdom of Judah from David, approximately 1000 BC, to the decree of Cyrus in somewhere around 539, 538 BC. Now this is Cyrus the Great. And he was the king of Persia that conquered the Babylonians. So they were exiled first to Assyria in the north, um, to Babylon in the south, and then Persia conquered uh, Babylon. And when Cyrus the Great, the king of Persia, was in control, he's the one that allowed the Jewish people to go back to Israel. And we pick it up next week with uh, Ezra and then the week after that with Nehemiah. So the emphasis of these two books is the continuity of the people of Judah and others through the exile and beyond. David's and Solomon's uh, covenant loyalty as models for the time of restoration, when they come back from the exile. Now, who's going to be the model of how they should live their lives? Well, it should be the the kingships of David and Solomon. The central role of the temple and worship for the restoration, true worship as a matter of the heart and full of joy and song, divine blessing and rest for obedience and retribution or punishment for disobedience. So those are the main themes uh, of the books of First and Second Chronicles. Another theme in First and Second Chronicles is what we saw last week in First and Second Kings is that in the northern kingdom of Israel, the kings were usually all bad. Uh, but in the southern kingdom of Judah, some were all bad, but many of them started well, but they finished poorly. And so I mentioned last Sunday how I wrote a book about this a few years ago called Fourth Quarter Fumbles, Keys to Finishing Strong. How can we avoid the mistakes these kings made and not just start well in our walk with God following after Christ, but we can finish well also. And so this book looks at 11 of the kings that started well but did not finish well. Now with the remainder of our time, we're going to look at Solomon because he is a picture or foreshadowing of Jesus, and because he illustrates this pattern I've been talking about of a strong start and of a weak finish. The strong uh, start and the weak finish of Solomon. First of all, his strong start. Number one, he made a really smart request of God, and we should do the same. We should make the same prayer and request of God that Solomon made. 2 Chronicles 1, verse 1, Solomon, son of David, established himself firmly over his kingdom. For the Lord his God was with him and made him exceedingly great. Skipping down to verse 7. That night God appeared to Solomon and said to him, ask for whatever you want me to give you. What would you answer if God said, I'll give you anything uh, that you you want? Uh, Verse 8, Solomon answered, God, you have shown great kindness to David, my father, and have made me king in his place. Now, Lord God, let your promise to my father David be confirmed, for you have made me king over a people who are as numerous as the dust 
of the earth. Give me two things. This is what he asked for. Wisdom and knowledge that I may lead this people for who is able to govern this great people of yours. Now let's just stop it there for for just a moment. What a wonderful uh, request this is. He's saying, God, I don't wanna be blessed just for the sake of being blessed. I wanna be blessed in order to be a blessing. Would you give me these two things, wisdom and knowledge, so that I can lead, so that I can bless your people? Would you bless bless me with these two things, uh, wisdom and knowledge, so that I can be a blessing to the people that you're having me to lead? I see this position, not as one to use it for my own benefit, but instead to use it to be a blessing to the people in this position. Do you see your position at work? Do you see your position in an organization or in your family as an opportunity to to take from others or to give to others, to bless others? For he says, who is able to govern this great people of yours? I need wisdom and knowledge so that I can be a blessing. We are not to be a reservoir, but a river. Not a reservoir just gathering all of God's blessings, but a river where the blessings come to us, but they flow through us onto other people. Not a reservoir, but a a river. Not to be served, Jesus said, but to serve. Now he asked for two things in order to do this. One is this word wisdom, which is from the Hebrew Hebrew word mohokmah, which means discernment and judgment. Lord, Give me discernment as to what's the right thing here and give me judgment, good judgment. But then he also asked for knowledge, which in the Hebrew is from the Hebrew word madei, which means practical know-how in everyday affairs. Give me discernment and judgment and then help me to figure out practically in everyday affairs how to be a blessing to other people. Now we pick it up with verse 11. God said to Solomon, since this is your heart's desire and you have not asked for wealth or possessions or honor and the death of your enemies. I mean, these are all good things except maybe the death of your enemies, but that does sound kind of fun, doesn't it? Just kidding, kind of. Uh, Nor for the death of your enemies. And since you have not asked for a long life, but for wisdom, there's those two words again, wisdom and knowledge to govern my people over whom I have made you king. Therefore, uh, wisdom and knowledge will be given to you, and I will also give you wealth, possessions, and honor, such as no king who was before you ever had, and none after you will have. Uh, This reminds me of what uh, Jesus said in Matthew 6, 33. Uh, But if you seek first his kingdom and his righteousness, Put God first in something and he'll bless the rest of it. Put him first in your time and, and he'll bless the rest of your time. Uh, give him part of your uh, portion of your day to study God's word, to pray. He'll bless the rest of the day. Give him the first day of the week, Sunday, to worship him and study his word. He'll bless the rest of the week. Give him the first of your finances. He'll bless the rest of your finances. Um, put him first in your marriage or as a parent in your family, and he'll bless the rest of it. Seek first his kingdom and his righteousness, and all these things will be given to you as well. That doesn't mean you're gonna be wealthy like Solomon was, but it does mean that the other things fall into place when we give God that number one position in our lives, just like Solomon does here. Uh, Then number two, 
he built the temple. And this is one of the ways where he foreshadows Jesus. Now, last Sunday, we saw Hezekiah uh, foreshadow Jesus by restoring the temple to its rightful purpose for worship. And in the Gospel of John, Jesus does the same thing uh, when he cleanses the temple. And so right after he cleanses the temple, uh, John 2, verse 18, the Jews then responded to him, what sign can you show us to prove your authority to do this? Jesus answered them, destroy this temple and I will raise it again in three days. They replied, it has taken 46 years to build this temple and you're gonna raise it in three days? But the temple he had spoken of was his body. After he was raised from the dead, his disciples recalled what he had said, then they believed the scripture and the words that Jesus had spoken. And so Jesus uh, raised, cleansed the temple and then raised the temple, built the temple when he resurrected, when he rose from the dead, as we're gonna celebrate in Easter in just a few weeks now. And in the same way, uh, Solomon foreshadows Christ by building, uh, by building the temple. Second Chronicles 2, verse one, Solomon gave orders to build a temple for the name of the Lord, skipping down to verse 11. When Solomon had finished the temple of the Lord and the royal palace, and had succeeded in carrying out all that he had in mind to do in the temple of the Lord and in his own palace, the Lord appeared to him at night and said, I've heard your prayer and have chosen this place for myself as a temple for sacrifices. When I shut up the heavens, this is in judgment, when the people sin against God, when they forget about God, when they turn their backs on God, uh, God will bring uh, punishment. He'll bring judgment when I shut up the heavens uh, so that there is no rain or command locusts to devour the land or send a plague among my people. When this judgment, when this punishment comes, here's the response we're to have. If my people who are called by my name will humble themselves and pray and seek my face and turn from their wicked ways. Then I will hear from heaven and I will forgive their sin and will heal their land. And oh, we need to pray that for ourselves today. We need to pray it uh, for our church. We need to pray it for our nation. If my people that are called by my name will humble themselves and pray and seek me, then I will hear from heaven when we're humble, when we repent of our sin. I'll hear from heaven, he says, and I will come and I will forgive their sin and I will heal their land. Number three, uh, Solomon was missional or missions-minded. Now, we tend to think that reaching the world for Christ uh, began after the Great Commission in Matthew 28, when Jesus went back to heaven and he said, therefore go and make disciples of all nations, baptizing them in the name of the Father, the Son, and the Holy Spirit. We tend to think, well, that's when it started, this global globalization of Christianity, following Christ. Now it's today in every nook and cranny, every ethnicity, every language in, in the world. It's, it's, it's everywhere, more global than any other movement in all of world history. And we thought that all started with what we call the Great Commission in Matthew 28. But God's concern for all the nations is found in the Bible from cover to cover. Uh, we see this in Solomon's dedication prayer uh, for the temple. It says in chapter 6, verse 32, As for the foreigner who does not belong to your people Israel, 
but has come from a distant land because of your great name and your mighty hand and your outstretched arm. When they come and pray toward this temple, then hear from heaven your dwelling place. Do whatever the foreigner asks of you so that all the peoples of the earth may know your name and fear you as do your own people Israel and may know that this house I have built bears your name. And then number four, his leadership blessed his people. Uh, just as Jesus, uh, he as our king blesses his people, but also has a heart for the whole world. For God so loved the world that he gave his only begotten son. Uh, and so his leadership though here blesses his people. The, the queen of Sheba uh, in this passage comes to visit Solomon. Now she was the queen of what is today Southwest Saudi Arabia. So this is one artist's rendition of what she may have looked like because she was the queen of what today is the southwestern part of the country of Saudi Arabia. And this is another picture of Jesus. It says in Luke 11, verse 31, Jesus himself said, the queen of Sheba will stand up against this generation on judgment day and condemn it. For she came from a distant land to hear the wisdom of Solomon. But Jesus said, now someone greater than Solomon is here, but you refuse to listen. Jesus is the king who was greater than Solomon. He was a, Solomon was a 1000 BC archetype or prototype or picture foreshadowing of Jesus. But then the greater Solomon was to come in, in Jesus. Second uh, Chronicles uh, 9, verses 5 through 8, the queen of Sheba came and she said to the king, the report I heard in my own country about your achievements and your wisdom is true. But I did not believe what they said until I came and saw with my own eyes, indeed, not even half the greatness of your kingdom was told me, you have far exceeded the report that I heard. How happy your people must be. How happy your officials who continually stand before you and hear your wisdom. Let's hold it there uh, for, for just a moment. We all have a place where God has put us. And are we using uh, wisdom? Are we using knowledge? Are we using what God has given us to be a blessing? Uh, so that our position in our family, how may it be said of us with Jesus' help, how happy the, your family must be in your position at work, how happy those that work with you must be. Your position in an organization, how happy those people must be. How happy those that you work with who stand before you and hear your wisdom. May we be Solomons, taking the wisdom of Solomon and the wisdom of Jesus into our workplace, into our family, into our neighborhoods, into our schools. Uh, the benefit uh, of being, um, uh, well, let's go on uh, to verse, uh, the, the next verse here, I'm sorry. Praise be to the Lord your God, in verse eight. Praise be to the Lord your God, who has delighted in you and placed you on his throne as king to rule for the Lord your God. Because of the love of your God for Israel and his desire to uphold them forever, he has made you king over them to maintain justice and righteousness. So let's just hold that there um, for, for, for just a moment. 
that he's put us in, in this position, uh, the Queen of Sheba says, so that you can maintain justice and righteousness. Now, what I was about to say earlier is the benefit of, of being in a multi-generational church is that we can challenge each other to both be about justice and about righteousness. Now, uh, this is a, a huge stereotype, but I think there's some truth to it. And that is in general, like I said, I'm really uh, painting with a broad brush here. But in general, um, my generation, the boomer generation, and the preceding, that of, my, of our parents, uh, the builder generation, uh, the builders and the boomers, we tended to emphasize, um, as following Christ, righteousness more than justice. But then the, the Gen Xers and the millennials and the, and the Gen Zs um, came along, and maybe in reaction to our emphasis on righteousness uh, more than justice, now they tend to emphasize um, justice more than righteousness. And yet both of these things are, are what we are to be having balance in our, in our Christian lives. Both of these are to be things that we pursue with equal passion. So as I said, one of the benefits of being in a multi-generational church like Purpose Church, which has almost exactly the demographics of Los Angeles County, uh, the, the different groups, builders, boomers, Gen X, millennials, Gen Zers, are, are like about the same ratio within our church as they are within our Los Angeles County. And one of the beauties of being part of a multi-generational church is that we can balance each other and challenge each other. So the Gen X and Millennials and Gen Zers can challenge we boomers and builders uh, to pursue justice. But we builders and boomers can challenge the Gen X and the Millennials and the Gen Zers to also, as you pursue justice, to pursue righteousness as well. So that within our church family, as followers of Christ, we will have both of these things like Solomon did that we're passionate about. We're passionate for justice, but we're also passionate for righteousness. We're passionate for righteousness, but we are also passionate for justice. And we can balance each other and challenge each other. Iron sharpening iron uh, as one person sharpens another, as one generation uh, sharpens another. And then number five, Solomon's wisdom blessed the whole world. It blessed the whole world. First Kings 10, verse 23. King Solomon was greater in riches and wisdom than all the other kings of the earth. The whole world sought audience with Solomon to hear the wisdom that God had put in his heart. Now, is this poetic license? The whole world sought audience with Solomon. I don't think it's poetic license. I think it's actually prophetic because Solomon wrote Proverbs and Song of Solomon and Ecclesiastes, books that we're coming to in the next few weeks. He wrote these three books, Proverbs, Song of Solomon, Ecclesiastes, which are used today by, of course, the Jewish people, by two and a half billion Christians. Uh, he's even a prophet with two billion Muslims. And I even read a theory this past week that there is one theory that Buddha got his wisdom from Solomon. Uh, Sol Solomon uh, was uh, here about 500 years before Buddha and somehow through the trade routes or whatever, uh, there's this one theory that that is where Buddha got his uh, wisdom as well. 
So that's a total of over 5 billion people out of the 8 billion in the world today. Over 5 billion uh, that are followers of the wisdom of Solomon. And that's close to two-thirds of the world's population. So I don't think this is poetic license. I think it's prophetic. The whole world has sought audience with with Solomon. Uh, So Solomon had a really, really strong start to his walk with God. But unfortunately, he has a very weak finish. Number one, Solomon ignored God's clear-cut warning. In 2 Chronicles 7, verse 17, God says, as for you, Solomon, if you walk before me faithfully as David your father did and do all I command and observe my decrees and laws, uh, I will establish your royal throne as I covenanted with David your father when I said you shall never fail to have a successor to rule over Israel. But, so if you do these things, you'll be blessed. But if you turn away and forsake the decrees and commands I've given you and go off to serve other gods and worship them, then I will uproot Israel from my land, which I've given them, and I will reject this temple I have consecrated for my name. I will make it a byword and an object of ridicule among all peoples. And that's exactly what happened in the northern part of Solomon's kingdom. Israel was exiled to Assyria, 722 BC, and the southern part of Solomon's kingdom in 586 BC, Judah was exiled to uh, Babylon. Then number two uh, of his weak finish, he did not protect himself from negative influences in his inner circle. Now, there's a difference between your oikos that we talk about a lot here at Purpose Church and your inner circle. Your oikos is the Greek word for household, and it's the people you kind of do life with in your school, in your neighborhood, in your family, at, at, your, at your workplace, okay? That's your oikos. And you need to have non-believers in your oikos. If you don't have them naturally, you need to build bridges to those that are not currently following Christ uh, so that you can use that bridge to to reach them for, for Jesus, to invite them to church on Easter Sunday or any Sunday. And uh, Pastor Eric or myself or one of the other preaching team will share Jesus with them or share Jesus with them yourself. And you can't fulfill God's purpose for your life without non-believers in your oikos. Because God's assignment to you, one of his purposes for your life, is to go to heaven and to take your oikos with you. Now, we're coming up on the best day of the year to invite your friends uh, to hear about Jesus. Five weeks from today is Easter Sunday, and we'll have materials uh, here at the church uh, for you uh, to share with people and bumper stickers and lawn signs and all the other things that we normally give out. And, And Easter is just the best day of the year to invite somebody from your oikos uh, to here to church, and I promise you that through song and prayer and the preaching of God's word, uh, Jesus will be shared with them. So be right now praying and asking God who he would have you to invite on Easter Sunday. That's your oikos. But your inner circle is different than your oikos. You reserve your inner circle, okay, your oikos, you need to have non believers in it. You need to develop friendships to have non believers in your your oikos. 
But your inner circle is different. You reserve your inner circle, uh, people like your spouse or your closest friends, for those who will spur you on in following God and not those who will hold you back. And we see this operating in, in Solomon's life in a negative way. In 1 Kings 11, verses 1 through 6, King Solomon, however, loved many foreign women besides Pharaoh's daughter, Moabites, Ammonites, Edomites, Sidonians, and Hittites. They were from nations about which the Lord had told the Israelites, you must not intermarry with them because they will surely turn your hearts after their gods. If you have people in your inner circle that follow after other gods, materialism and, and, um, and, and hedonism and, and uh, other things are, are their gods. Those are the things that their heart runs after. Um, uh, other world philosophies uh, of this culture surrounding us because they will surely turn your hearts, if you have them in your inner circle, after their gods. Nevertheless, Solomon held fast to them in love. He had 700 wives of royal birth and 300 concubines, and his wives led him astray. As Solomon grew old, his wives turned his heart after other gods, and his heart was not fully devoted to the Lord his God as the heart of David his father had been. He followed Ashtoreth, and the main way you worship Ashtoreth is through sexual immorality. So uh, some of the people in his inner circle influenced him to worship Ashtoreth, and you worship this god, this goddess, uh, through sexual immorality, the goddess of the Sidonians, and Moloch, uh, the detestable god of the Ammonites. The way you worship Moloch was by sacrificing babies. So he got influenced to, to worship these false gods in these uh, horrific ways. Uh, so Solomon did evil in the eyes of the Lord. He did not follow the Lord completely as David his father had done. Now Solomon is sometimes called the frog king because he was like a frog in the kettle where the temperature gradually rises uh, little by little and the frog's not even aware of it until his blood boils and the frog dies. So uh, Solomon was that frog in the kettle. He was the frog king. Small compromises at the beginning of your life can lead to a totally different destination by the end of your life. There's a place called Two Oceans Pass in the Teton Wilderness area of Wyoming um, that is uh, on the south side of Yellowstone National Park. It's also called the Parting of the Waters because there's this one place where the two streams divide, right on the continental divide. And the stream, one side becomes, it's called Two Ocean Creek, and one side becomes Atlantic Ocean Creek, and the other becomes Pacific Ocean Creek. And they're the same stream until this point, this little change of inches at the very beginning, right on the Continental Divide. And yet one stream, the Pacific Creek, it flows west and ends up 1,353 miles later in the Pacific Ocean. And then the, the other stream, um, the Atlantic Creek, it flows east and ends up 3,488 miles later in the Atlantic Ocean. They start with very small variations, and yet they end up thousands of miles apart. Uh, so bad influences pulled Solomon away from God. 
but so did good things done to excess. If Satan can't get you to do bad things, he will get you to do good things to excess, to excessive amounts. This is such an important lesson from the life of Solomon. Uh, if he can't get you to do bad things, that's plan A, but his plan B is to get uh, you to do good things that distract you from God's purpose for your life and the best things by too many good things, good things to excess. Number three, Solomon's excesses led to his heart drifting from God. Now we studied this passage from Deuteronomy a few weeks ago, and this would have been in Solomon's uh, Bible. And Moses here warns us about the three S's, self, sex, and, and silver. Um, now these are all good things, but if they're done outside of God's will, or if they're done in excess, they become dangerous to our spiritual health. And the antidote to the three S's is the four S's, which are study God's word, steady fellowship, serving God and others, and sharing Jesus with your oikos. Here's the passage that would have been in Solomon's Bible, Deuteronomy 17. The king, moreover, must not acquire great numbers of horses for himself. There's the one that Solomon should have been warned about. Solomon had more horses than any king on planet earth at the peak of his reign. He must not take many wives. Okay, there's, there's the sex. There's, there's Solomon, a second thing that he should have been warned about. Who had more wives or concubines than Solomon? He must not take many wives or his heart will be led astray. He must not accumulate large amounts of silver and gold. Uh, Solomon did that uh, as well. Uh, when he takes the throne of his kingdom, he is to write for himself on a scroll a copy of this law. Here's the antidote, the thing that would have protected him from the three S's, is a scroll with God's word on it, taken from that of the Levitical priests. It is to be with him, and he is to read it all the days of his life so that he may learn to revere the Lord his God and follow carefully all the words of this law and of these decrees, and not consider himself better than his fellow Israelites and turn from the law to the right or to the left. Then he and his descendants will reign a long time over his kingdom in Israel. He was warned about those things, but he uh, ignored the warning and went into excess in these areas. And then finally, number four, even when God turned up the heat, he still did not repent. You've heard it said that you don't always change when you see the light, but when you feel the heat. And so God turns up the heat on him because he did not see the light from the, the scriptures because he did not see the light from the warnings that God had given him before. So God turns up the heat. But for Solomon, he didn't even change even when he felt the heat. It says in 1 Kings 11, verse 14, uh, now uh, then the Lord raised up against Solomon an adversary, Hadad the Edomite, from the royal line of Edom. In verse 23, God raised up against Solomon another adversary, Reason, son of Eliadah, who had fled from his master, Hadadezer, king of Zobab. And then in verse 25, it says, Rezon was Israel's adversary as long as Solomon lived, adding to the trouble caused by Hadad. So Rezon ruled in Aram and was hostile toward Israel. 
And then in verse 26, also Jeroboam, son of Nebat, rebelled against the king. And these things should have been warnings to Solomon that should have caused him to stop and to pause the direction of his life and to repent. But they didn't do it. He didn't change, even when he felt the heat. Now we've spent our time looking at someone who started well and finished poorly. Uh, let's close our time hearing from a couple from our church who started well in our church nursery and who are in the process of finishing well in Hermosillo, Hermosillo um, Mexico. And uh, just re, uh, be encouraged, Purpose Church, that your giving, Purpose Church, has made what you're about to see possible. Let's, let's close with this. Hello, Purpose Church family. We're Dwayne and Margaret Grassman, your missionaries here in Hermosillo, Sonora, Mexico. Uh, we're so thankful for your love, your partnership, the relationship, and the history that we have with you because both Margaret and I were raised in Purpose Church. That's right. Yeah. From being in the basement nursery in the old sanctuary all the way to the newlywed Sunday school class, Duane and I grew up in Purpose Church with solid biblical teaching and sound doctrine, which we really believe uh, prepared us, helped to prepare us to move out as missionaries in 1980, along with our four-month-old son, Daniel, who is now a missions pastor in Vancouver, Washington. Yeah, it's, uh, praise the Lord, praise the <laughs> Lord. Uh, yeah, the past 43 years have been incredible uh, because the Lord has been so gracious to us, giving us different opportunities to minister and, and to do church. That's right. Throughout these years, along with our three kids, we were able to do evangelistic uh, campaigns all throughout Mexico, uh, able to develop one and two year discipleship programs, uh, plant three churches out in the coastal areas of Sonora. And we also had this great and unique opportunity as a family to serve on board Operation Mobilization's ship Logos 2 all throughout Latin America. As missionaries, we've always been involved in the local church yeah. because we love the church. Yes. And uh, 14 years ago, we were presented with the opportunity or the challenge to plant a church here in the city, mm -hmm. which today has grown to over 750 people. And every Sunday, we have all the programs that are working and functioning uh, during the week. Uh, we have small group Bible studies along with youth programs, and it's just incredible what the Lord is doing. Yes, we're very grateful. And, yes. and it's always been one of our deepest desires mm. as a church yes. in order to show the love of Christ um, is to serve our community in very practical ways. And uh, our church is very involved in the community. Yeah. Our missions program, our missions teams, uh, every week, four times a week, are in different uh, rehabilitation centers. We also have a breakfast program for children and for the homeless. We're involved with the fire department, the police department, so many things that we're doing. But perhaps the most outstanding project right now is the regadera, yeah. which uh, literally means shower. <laughs> uh, we were able to buy and convert a 65-foot truck trailer into four beautiful functioning bathrooms with hot water. And uh, with the influx right now, with so many migrants from Cuba, Guatemala, Honduras, Nicaragua, and Venezuela, 
Uh, every week for the past three months, 250 people have been able to receive a nice hot shower. Yes, it's been a great blessing. Yes. And we yeah. want to continue to expand uh, this mm. ministry in um, presenting um, medical brigades, yes. in having uh, people come to get work on their teeth a dent with mm. our dentists that come from our church, or even something as simple as getting a free haircut. Yes. Uh, so we want to continue to work with the Regadera all throughout Hermosillo. Yes, and uh, of course, we're very conscious and once again very grateful for your partnership because without you it would be impossible to do any of this so thank you so much yes we so love and appreciate all of you always be grateful for our church on the corner of holt <laughs> and gary yes. god bless yes the lord bless you richly